You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. to do now, but I'm afraid. Not for me, but for my friends. They fought so hard and given so much and helped me to understand why you stood up to the Empire and made the sacrifices you did. I wish you could meet them, my new family. I guess in some way you will be with us today when we finish what you started. I want you to know everything I've done and will do began with you. Ezra, they're bringing her up. Welcome to the 602 Club as we have a special supplemental feature for you today. I'm so excited to be coming straight from Lothal. I gotta say, they have really cleaned this place up since the the Empire's left. So, uh, I'm... It's it's really nice. Uh, I really like the the city now and huh man there's just not enough graffiti art anymore though like it's it's like sabine went on holiday so it's very clean and and just new and fresh it it yeah no it's got that new city smell so (laughs) but uh i'm i'm really excited to to be able to sit down and uh talk about uh season four of star wars rebels as the show has, has come to an end and so um with me to talk about that noble end is, of course, you as you heard, the one and only Bruce Gibson. Yeah, I'm so ready to talk about Rebels. We've gone through the whole series, all four seasons now, so it's exciting and sad at the same time to get to the end. But I do love getting to the end of a series because I know that I've lived long enough to see it through. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as I get older, I feel that way too. I'm like, oh, I finally got to see the. That's kind of how I felt. Like, I know this will sound silly, but when episode three came out, I was like, well, I've seen the end of Star Wars. Yeah. Like, I know. And of course, now it's like, okay, well, I guess at least I have to live till, you know, episode nine comes out so I can at least see the end of the episodes. No, I was the um, same way keep, after yeah. episode three. And. I didn't. I don't want to die anytime soon. But I literally said when I left the theater, <laughs> I can now die in peace because I've seen all of Star Wars. But that's not true anymore. Yeah, it's, yeah, no, it's absolutely not true. You guys do realize that all three of us will die before they stop making Star Wars movies. Probably there will be Star Wars that we don't yeah. see. Yes, and as you can hear, folks, the dulcet tones of the one and only Aaron Goins. What's up, guys? I, I mean, been a while much. since I've been it on has, the show. It has. Not it's for been lack too of long. trying. I just keep turning you down. So, um, yes, uh, you're kind of like the prom date. I have to keep asking over and over and over again, and finally, I guess I can just wear you down. And you're like, 
Okay. You're like the Steve Urkel to my, I don't know, what was her name again? Laura or something? I have no idea. <laughs> I think so, yeah. 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 So, Aaron, uh, do you watch Star Wars or do you just read it? Because you are on Star Wars Bookworms. Yeah, I do both. I actually, oh. I do I do watch the movies at least once each. I've seen them, but... At least once? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, and I'm not even sure if, um, you know, I mean, Bran... Brainly new hired. I, I has has John Favreau even seen all the Star Wars movies? I don't even know. Uh, so I think he's a pretty big fan, from what I hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet, yeah. I bet he is. I bet he's seen mm-hmm. him. Well, I mean, I know Aaron is a super fan because I'm going to call him out. You were at the basically both parties they did for the end of Rebels. Um, one when they came back from hiatus, you were out at Lucasfilm, uh, and then uh, you were out in L.A. to see the finale. With a bunch of fans as well, so I mean, hobnobbing it with people like Donald Faison. Yeah, Donald Faison. If I knew if I knew he was going to be there, I would have worn my Star Wars Detours T-shirt. <laughs> that would have been a cool photo op to be able to take. That would have been awesome. With Donald Faison. That would have been awesome. Uh, I I actually love too that he's such a fan. Like I yeah. didn't, I really did not realize he, how big of a fan he was. And then of course his question was phenomenal uh, to Dave. Uh, so, uh, yeah, let's hope we get that answer. Well, um. Gosh, we okay. We got to get we got to get some semblance of order. I uh, just want to remind everybody: you can find all the shows here on Track FM over on iTunes at iTunes.com/slash/TrackFM. Uh, you can find, of course, the Six O Two Club. Make sure you give us a star rating review. Uh, it really does help people find the show. And as you're listening to this one, of course, we've got the Star Wars only feed as well. So if you just love the Star Wars shows of the Six O Two Club, you can find that feed specifically in its own podcast thread, which is uh, the Six O Two Club a Star Wars collection, so make sure you check that out as well. Um, you can find us all over the place wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. We've got the listeners-only discussion group, the Babel Conference there. Uh, you can find that on Facebook. As you just type Babel in the search field, you'll find us. Or if you're on our website at Trek.fm, you can click Discussion on the menu bar, and that'll bring you over there. And last but not least, man, if you've got something to say about Star Wars Rebels and what you liked or didn't like about the show, um, send us an email. Go to trek.fm slash contact, choose a show, choose the 602 Club, and that'll come to me and a host that week, and we can talk to you more. So, uh, guys, um, we're just going to kind of talk through the season. Um, so we'll start at the beginning, because I hear it's a very good place to start. But the Mandalorian arc is the one that began the season, and it's also, we were all at uh, Celebration. We all got to see those episodes play out, which was very cool. And then we got to see them again. So I've seen them probably three or four times now with like rewatches and stuff. Um, and I want to ask you guys, because this is an, the episode that really kind of brought a culmination to leaving off the, the Mandalorians from the Clone Wars, Sabine's arc, and showing us one of the ways in which you know, uh, these rebels actually have a huge impact on thwarting some of the Empire's plans with weapons that could be used against us. So to me, this was a fantastic way to start the series uh, and and the season four of kind of like starting to bring things to a close. It almost didn't feel as a season starter in in a way for me because the way season three played out towards the end, this just seemed to continue that arc. 
I mean, it was a great start yeah. to the season, but it really was picking up from season three. And if anything, from these two episodes, and I forgot that we saw them at Celebration, but you're right, I've seen them a few times now. Uh, I really have come to go from liking Sabine's character to her being probably my favorite now in this series. Um, because there's just so much depth in her and the Mandalorians built into the show and her attachment to her family and the other Mandalorians. I've just come to really appreciate her as a character and the Mandalorians now in this series. And I, I think it's been fantastic. Yeah. And Sabine's come a long way. Her and Ezra both have come a long way um, in the show, especially for me as a fan, just, they were probably the two at the very beginning that I wasn't that, not as on board with as their, you know, their character types. But um, you could tell based on the end, how the show ends and Sabine's importance in how the series ends that a lot of this, like these episodes in particular and the episodes previous to this, where she's doing kind of that lightsaber training with Kanan, they're like, they're really taking the time to establish her and the depth of her character and, show her importance to the series. I've, I've, and these episodes in particular did a great job of just creating that, you know, giving us more backstory um, and showing kind of where she came from. So I, yeah, I, I really like these episodes a lot. Well, and I, I like what you're talking about Bruce there too, and specifically uh, pulling from season three. And like you said, Aaron, uh, those episodes where she was training with uh Kanan were some of the best episodes of season three I mean and and some of the most heart-wrenching too I mean and so we continue that here with her character and you know we finally get the answer as to what she did uh, that destroyed almost destroyed her people um, and and why she was kind of an outcast with them but also the way in which she is able then to redeem herself um, by keeping this weapon out of the hands of the Empire for good, uh, but at the same time reorganizing, in a lot of ways, the Mandalorians all under one banner, finally, uh, with my favorite Mandalorian, Bo-Katan. And having her back as well was just a huge plus. And again, it's something that goes all the way back to the Clone Wars, and so Dave is able to kind of, I don't want to say put a bow on, but he's really able to bring that all together. And I think that's something that season four for, I think, Rebels really does that well. Um, that Dave and and the, the, the crew behind the series see this as a way to kind of flush out all the things they were able to do in animation. Um, from the Clone Wars to Rebels and really tie together the, the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy and even with some of these episodes, the sequel trilogy too. So it's just like they, and I think this kind of puts us on that path. And gosh, I don't know about you, but um, part of me kind of wants to see a live action show with maybe these Mandalorians now. Uh, I, I think that would be kind of a cool place to go. Um now that and and you know we got Jan Favreau right uh, who was uh, pre Vizsla leading that show so it's like it might be not a bad idea to have as a live action show um, so I don't know it's this this arc was I, I felt like a really strong start and like both of you pointed out getting to dive into Sabine's character 
in a way that I think made her kind of pivotal to everything was was great because as with what you said, Aaron, I wasn't a huge fan at the beginning uh, of Sabine, but yeah, by the end of this show, she is one of my favorite characters on the show now, and I love that they kind of took all of these characters through that. Um, Ezra is one of them too. It's like he started off as everybody called you know Space Aladdin, but now he's this character that I have massive respect for. So I just, this was a fantastic way to to start off this season. Yeah, I think Sabine in a lot of ways is the Ahsoka of this series because Mm. Ahsoka started off not being a well-liked character in the beginning of Clone Wars by a good many fans and then she was one of the most loved. And I, I feel more so with Sabine than maybe with Ezra in this series I think Sabine was more accepted at the beginning than Ahsoka was at the beginning of Clone Wars, but I feel that she has really matured. And I think Ezra, I guess, has too. So maybe it is kind of the parallel of Ezra and Sabine have really matured since season one to uh, the end of season four. And I think they've become more like characters because I remember Sabine, people were making comments like, oh, you know, she's just there to, you know, sell toys and appeal to girls and be kind of punkyish, like in graffiti and all that. And what's really her purpose? It's just, she's just there to appeal to kids. Well, I think they've proven as they did with Ahsoka that she wasn't just a character there just to appeal to kids. She appeals to adults and she's really grown a lot through the series. And you need to have characters like that, you know, that start out unpolished and maybe even annoying in some ways, you know, like, especially with, yeah, you know, I found some of the things that Sabine would do kind of annoying. She would get very offended by certain things. I remember in early seasons where she wasn't included. You know, she had that kind of like teenager mentality um, that it's just like, well, why aren't you telling me everything? Or why aren't you treating me like an adult? And, and you know, and I'm well past that point in my life. So I don't relate with that mentality as much. So when her character would have those kind of lines, I'd just be like, ah, oh, stop it. You know, just, <laughs> you know, but they... You have to have a character. You have to have characters like that in a show. They can't all start out, you know, with the end game. You know, you have to be able to show growth. And, you know, I think it, like you used uh, Ahsoka as an example, you know, very similar in how a lot of people had a hard time with Ahsoka at the beginning. But then by the end, she's literally like a top five favorite character of all time for many people. Um, Sabine kind of had a similar route although I wouldn't put Sabine in my top five characters of all time, but they definitely brought her from one place where I was just like, okay, she's just part of the crew to, oh, wow, she's the pivotal character, really, that she even gets to do the, the, you know, that, the voiceover at the end explaining where everybody ends up. Like, they picked Sabine, of all people, to do that. So she, she's very central to the story. Yeah, and I also feel like they became the leaders, her and Ezra, because if you, like you were saying, Aaron, She's, oh, why am I not included? Why don't I know? But do you know, towards the end, it seemed more that Ezra and Sabine were taking the lead and saying, okay, this is what we got to do. This is where we need to go. And everybody was kind of following their lead at the end. Yeah, they needed to pass the torch to the younger generation. You know, Kanan obviously met the end he met. And, you know, at the end, when when Ezra's trying to kind of get out of there, he didn't even have to really talk to Sabine. They just had, they just made this eye contact yes. kind of like what to do. And it really did show. And even I know this is jumping way ahead, but 
just to kind of tie it into what we're talking about, we do see that everyone just completely respects Ezra by this point at the end. Yes. Where they're they're not questioning his plans anymore. They're just like, hey, you're the leader, you know. And um, I think I'd put Sabine kind of in that same that same boat with Ezra. I, I really love where you guys have taken this because it is it is the thing that again and and this is a whole season that we're talking about so I think it's fine to, to tie it all together because that's the thing that's so beautiful about this is that the relationship between uh, Ezra and Sabine you know in a lot of ways it kind of parallels the Kanan and Hera relationship but without the romance you know they they just are are friends and they completely trust one another they have each other's backs. And as, you know, he says to, to um, Sabine, I can always count on you. You know, like they've always been there for each other. They've always kind of been, you know, brother, sister-ish. And, that, and what I love is that they show that kind of relationship. It doesn't always have to be romantic. You know, you can have a great male-female relationship that doesn't have to go there. Um, who knows? I mean, if, if they had, you know... Uh, both been in the same place at the end. Yeah, maybe it w- would have been there, but they just, it stayed in that kind of, you know, brother-sister zone, which is amazing and great, and that's what they needed from one another. And I think that's a, the beauty of this show. But also I think it was interesting because in a lot of ways, I this the end of this show parallels a lot of what happened in The Last Jedi about how the torch was passed. And as you guys are saying, Ezra and Sabine are the ones that get the torch passed to them. Um, and by the end, they're the leaders. They're making the plans, and uh, Hera and Zeb are following them. You know, and so uh, that's kind of a lot of what happened in the Last Jedi, where the torch was passed to Poe and Rey. You know, so I think I think it's it's kind of neat to see. The way, and, and again, I think this kind of shows the brilliance of Dave Filoni, and he, he understands George's idea of kind of repeated themes, repeated motifs. Uh, and he does that beautifully in, in everything that he's done, but this really shows up, I think, with Sabine and as, as arcs. Um, and, and again, getting to start with the Mandalorian arc was just a great way to do that. So I think it's it's just a... One, I love seeing more Mandalorians because I enjoy the Mandalorians the way that they've been portrayed. And I also like that we finally kind of got them even closer to what we kind of thought of in the EU. But they still have that George Filoni feel. Like, these are closer, but they, they're still what they are. And I, I really, really like that. And I'd love now to be able to get to see more of that. So it's, a, to me, perfect way to start this season. What I like is, and I've heard people complain about uh, kind of doing stories that play off Clone Wars. Not everybody has complained about that, but some people are like, Rebels should stand on its own. And they feel like Dave is using this as an opportunity to close out stories from uh, Clone Wars or playing off thing on Clone Wars, which Rebels should stay on its own. And I disagree with that because all of Star Wars plays off of each other. And uh, I think at least the best Star Wars does. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And so you've, Whatever is established with the Mandalorians and Clone Wars, it makes sense to go ahead and touch on those things in Rebels. And so I, I do like the arc from the Clone Wars into Rebels and make the Mandalorians closer to what we think and what we saw, like you said, Matt, in the EU. Yeah, and it's it's funny to see kind of... I remember when they decided to bring the Mandalorian culture into the Clone Wars. 
And remember when it was like this whole like pacifist, you know, culture, and it just didn't look or resemble anything that we thought it was going to be. And everyone kind of freaked out. But then it was like, and I don't know if this was George, you know, knowing what the long game was, or maybe this was just George trying to subvert our expectations. But Filoni's, you know, took that, you know, and ran with it. And kind of, although they introduced it as this pacifist um, culture, they, they kind of still flipped it and got to the point now that they're at with Rebels where they do introduce the idea of this warrior culture that was so, that basically decimated this planet and forced them to become pacifists because of that. And there were still these like splinter groups that were still remembered the warrior culture. And then there's these clans and then it does start to look more like what we saw in legends. And so I thought it was such an awesome, you know, melding of kind of like George's ideas. Um, so you can see Filoni's influence where he, he respected what, you know, was in legends and gave us, you know, a taste of that, but it's also, um, you know, it's different than what, what, we, what we had from legends, but I thought they did a really good job of kind of blending it and then making it its, its own thing. So I, I was, I really enjoyed what they did with the Mandalorians in the series. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with both of you. Um, you know, uh, uh, Bruce, you'll get this, but it, and Aaron, I, I think you will too, cause I know you, uh, know some about Star Trek, but like it reminds me so much of what happened with Enterprise and everybody was like, oh, these aren't Vulcans. But, you know, like the idea that a culture is a monoculture for its entire existence just doesn't make sense. And George even had that same explanation. And so did Dave when they first brought the Mandalorians in. You know, look, Mandalorians aren't a monoculture, you know, so um, we're giving them dimensionality and we're making this a real feeling culture that is going to have ebbs and flows to it and and the uh ebb was they almost destroyed themselves so they became pacifists and yeah like you said Aaron they just, the way they work that all out I think um really they knew the long game they knew the way they were going to go and I think that's the beauty of the, I I think the the Clone Wars and the Rebels uh series is that there is a clear path of where they're going. So all of these stories make sense. And even this season, by the end, did an amazing thing, which was it took some of those shows that were like, oh, that's just a filler episode. That doesn't really... Mm -hmm. eh. And they took those and they made them mean something at the end of the season uh, and the end of the series. And so, but I think that's because you get... Uh, a clear understanding from Dave and the writers of where the show is going. So nothing is done on, on accident. And to me, that's one of the things like that has made, uh, you know, these animated shows specifically so good. And what George started with the Clone Wars and Dave is finished now with this rebel series is, is really, making sure that all the puzzle pieces fit together and make sense. So to me, that's really cool. Um, and, and one of the ways they did that is, you know, they had these rebellion links uh, throughout, you know, last season, specifically kind of leading up to some of the things with Rogue One. And, and this season, we got a couple episodes here with Saul Guerrera as he's returning and trying to over undercover this um, Imperial secret. And he, you know, he's really showing his crazy. Uh, and I liked having just one uh, more time to kind of uh, 
seesaw to kind of set up what you'll see in Rogue One. I really enjoyed that. Um, but I also think that they were used specifically as growth moments for Ezra. Because Ezra at that point is struggling with how do we fight? How, how You know, like he's struggling with that idea of his conversations with Yoda and seeing like we're not getting anywhere. Um, so he has to make that choice in those two episodes um, to, and that they help him make the choice of where he'll go. So I like that it wasn't just, oh, we're just giving you Saul so we can connect to Rogue One. It's, no, we're using this as a way to further the character development of Ezra so that by the end of the season, you can understand why he makes the decision he makes. Well, yeah, because Ezra is really uh, obsessed with getting back to his homeworld and helping them and freeing them from the Empire. And right now, the Rebellion isn't focused on Lothal. And so now you have Saul Guerrero pointing out that the Rebellion is weak and they're not taking those chances. And Ezra's really learning from Saul that, you know, are we not doing enough? And it kind of, in a lot of ways, it matures him and propels him to push even harder for Lothal and and getting back there and, and trying to do what's best to free them, but also knowing that line and learning that line of, well, what's pushing too far? What's doing too much on the rebellion side of doing going too far like Saul does. Saul is in a lot of ways kind of a criminal on a rebellion side. Uh people die, innocents die, but his opinion is, you know, the innocents must die sometime for us to go forward and free everyone. And uh so I really did enjoy these two stories. It's episodes 3 and 4 of this season. Yeah, and in introducing Saul back into the series, especially at this point, is a great way to show kind of where the rebellion is at at this point in the timeline. Um, it was even interesting to me that when the rebels crew showed up on Yavin, they were like, they had no idea what was going on on Yavin. You know, that was a different cell. You know, they were part of Phoenix squadron and, you know, and then whatever was left of Phoenix squadron ends up on Yavin as well. And so you're seeing all these separate cells all around, including Saul kind of doing his own thing. Um, and it's, it's just cool to kind of see the very beginnings of what we know as the rebellion. Um, and it wasn't as simple as like, Oh, this group all got together. They fought against the empire. They beat them. Like it was all these different cells all across the galaxy that kind of banded together. And Saul is such an outlier, you know, he's doing it his way. And he even calls out Mon Mothma, you know, kind of like, Hey, you're, you're too soft. This is, this is why you guys are losing. And I just, I loved all of that back and forth. That I that scene specifically where he has the hologram and uh, you know and Mon Mothma finally breaks like the, you see this break in her and she starts kind of yelling back at him like how he's a criminal and all of these things and he's like there there's that fire you know and it, it's I, I I think it's interesting because you know um, Mon Mothma it, herself is still struggling with. Um, how do we do this? And she even notes there that um, she still wants to find a solution in the Senate. You know, she still wants to find a peaceful solution. Um, and and this is just one more 
point where she starts to realize, I think, that this is not going to be the case. You know, there, there isn't going to be a peaceful solution to this, and this becomes one more place where that kind of um, another nail is put into the coffin of a peaceful solution. Uh, and and I like that. I I think it's important because again, one of the cool things about the, the Rebels series is yes, it is focused on this family, but it also ha- has really helped us understand the rebellion at large. And um, these are key episodes to doing that. And I I think it's it's just done really well in that they never forget about the focus of of Ezra and this family and and their part in it. But they're able to use that, but also furthering other parts of the story. Um, and, and I mean, obviously, um, getting the connection of seeing the kyber crystal, which I loved, you know, of it calling to Ezra, him hearing that, you know, the beautiful call of the kyber crystal. And um, all of that was fantastic. Uh, the the um, ship getting blown up, you know, uh, because of the kyber crystal, you see its power. Um, I thought that that was just, again, it's just something that's really strong and, and it connects with Rogue One and then, of course, A New Hope so well, um, seeing all of that play together. So this is one of the places where the interconnectivity is is key to the series, um, but it's also just done with a, a real precision um, so that you never lose the true focus and and you could easily do that you could easily do what you said earlier bruce like oh this is just the way to like finish up the the you know clone war series but dave never allows it to to uh, descend into something like that he's he's way too good for that and and so is the team behind rebels so i think uh, this episode specifically the, these two episodes in the name of the rebellion really bring that home really show that and force whitaker is back as the voice of Saul oh my Guerrero. gosh so good yeah. well and uh, yeah can we talk about that you get forrest whitaker back you get um genevieve o'reilly back you get um uh, later on we're gonna get ian mcdermott back you know we had um uh frank oz as yoda i mean so uh, Getting all of these main players to come back into Rebels, I think, was something that's really special. Um, I guess they must be that Disney cash. Yeah, because George didn't do that with the Clone Wars. We weren't getting these people back. Uh, I think, and we did have Frank Oz come back as Yoda, though, I think, in that last season, didn't we? Was that Frank? I can't remember. I can't remember if he was in. I don't think in the Clone Wars they ever did. Yeah, I don't think they, they did. Um, but yeah, I, it, uh, well, I mean, it would have been hard to get Ian McDermott to play the Emperor and Palpatine that many times. Right. He he was in the show so much, um, and he's a uh, you know he's on stage too much for that. So, but these kind of one offs where you just it's fantastic. So, um, the middle of the season, I kind of like <laughs> labeled occupation because this is where they go back to Lothal and. A lot of the story plays out into where we'll get to the end of the season. And um, I, I thought it was interesting because, you know, we hadn't been to Lothal since the end of last season. And we get there and it is just, it's awful. Like the, you, you, the world you see is completely different than the world we left, which was this kind of beautiful, luscious prairie land with, you know, these these beautiful mountain ranges and everything. And, and this just looks like you know, post-apocalyptic 
planet now. Um, and I, I really like where they take this story about tying it into everything they had been doing with the Tide Defender project and, um, you know, more into Thrawn's plans, getting Rook, um, and some, you know, very, uh, some, the, the beginnings of some very trippy things happening here on the fall where we begin to realize Lothal is a much different place and there's something much more important here than we ever thought which I just thought all of these episodes actually do that really well in bringing that all together. Yeah, I, what I liked about doing that is we started season one almost entirely on Lothal, and we got finally away from the planet, and we now are exploring other areas and exploring other uh, factions of the Rebellion and the Empire and all these things, and now we come back full circle back to Lothal, and like you said, Matt, it's a different Lothal. Things have changed, just like we've seen our characters change over time. So even though we've only had four seasons, we've had a great progression of both character and environment expand and grow and change throughout just these four seasons. So that's what you want in your storytelling. You want things to change and uh, then come to a conclusion at the end. And I felt like we really got a good arc for Lothal. We got that beginning and now we've got that end to it. And I really enjoyed being back on Lothal. And I know we're going to get into it, but then just even just the mystery of Lothal by having the Jedi Temple and the wolves and, and those sort of things happening at the same time, there was just a lot there to me that even though we had less seasons, I'm sorry, less episodes in season four about Lothal, I thought we got more out of Lothal than we did out of the first season where the whole season was devoted to it. Yeah. And, and Lothal is one of those planets that it's got such a connection to the force that it, it, it makes sense that the rebels crew ended up here, you know, and they, it, it's kind of a, like, if you think about star Wars in this way, like how the force intervenes in characters and kind of placing them where they need to be at the right time. And, you know, Lothal is such a power earth. That planet is so, connected to the force that it almost seems like the crew was drawn there because they needed to meet Ezra because he was going to be so pivotal. And the Jedi temple that's there is obviously this thing that nobody even realized how important that was going to be. Um, and, you know, even all the big players that we know, including the emperor himself is interested in what's going on on this planet. So I love how like at first, when they first introduce us to Lothal, you're just like, Oh, okay, whatever this back backwater planet, no big deal. They just needed a setting, but no, this was, this was a much bigger deal. Um, and we got to see that play out by the end. And I like that the idea too, that what was in the Jedi temple and what we begin to explore here is that this is not some sort of like, um, Malachor technology type thing or anything like that, that this is, um, as mystical as it gets when it comes to the force uh, and it makes um, it makes Lothal, like you were saying, Aaron, one of these planets where it's a nexus for the Force in a way that we didn't expect or didn't know. Um, you know, it becomes like Dagobah. It has a Mortis feel almost to it. It's got, um, you know, any of those planets like Ilum where it's just so interwoven into the, the fabric of the Force. Uh, I guess uh, fabric, Force, space, time, continuum. Um, that's what we get. That's what Lothal is. And, and this Jedi Temple, which we had obviously no idea 
that this is something that could have been I mean, I get the feeling like this isn't just Jedi who came here, but that those Mortis gods may have been in, in, integral in setting up the temple um, and what that thing is. Like, I, I, it feels so much more ancient than even just the Jedi. Um, and so, like, having that kind of connection and realizing that our rebels are so pivotal in, one, we talked about the fact that they... Um, keep the the weapon that uh, Sabine had created out of the hands of the Empire, so that's huge. Um, and then they are going to be pivotal in making sure that the TIE Defender project doesn't go through um, and answering very well the question of why you never see the TIE Defenders again. Um, and then three, they are going to be pivotal in making sure that Palpatine doesn't end up having control over space and time. As it as a, they become some of the most important people ever to have existed in Star Wars because without them, I you know the original trilogy goes very differently. <laughs> I mean that that's what's so amazing about what they do here. I would love to learn more, and I I wonder if we will. I, this is the type of concept that was introduced into Rebels with this you know this temple this place between. What do they call it? The space between times? The world between world worlds. between worlds. Like this this whole idea of a world between worlds is a big thing to introduce into the Star Wars galaxy. Um, and I wonder how much it'll bleed outside of Rebels or if it's just going to be a thing that they use for Rebels and we don't really hear much about it again. But I am curious, you know, the Emperor obviously was trying to get in there because he felt like there was some power he could gain from it. Um, but then when you hear explanations from Dave about what, what you can actually do, you know, the whole idea of time travel, he's kind of stripped that away and said, Oh no, no, you can't actually like, you wouldn't be able to jump into one of those portals and stay there or affect the time or pull somebody out and then pull them into a different portal. So they could time travel. Like he was kind of explaining, like once they pulled Ahsoka out, she had to go back in. Like there wasn't, there wasn't an opportunity that they would have brought her into the current time and had her affect things there. So how much, power would the emperor really have by gaining there? Like he wouldn't, you know, I, it's just, I'd, I'd love to learn more than we've already learned, <laughs> I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I would like to think that you can't manipulate time with these as, as they're stating, but at the same time, Ezra is able to reach through the portal and pull Ahsoka in. And then of course, like you said, she went back out, but maybe, maybe it's not that what Ezra did was a, uh, something that happened in the that he's reaching into the past but maybe it's just something that it just i don't know how to explain it it happened like it happened yeah like it like, always happened it always happened it always yeah. happened before ezra went there ezra reached out and pulled ahsoka there like time has already been defined time has already been established it does seem like you can affect other parts of time. Like he obviously affected what happened between her and Vader because he was able to pull her out just in time to not get killed by Vader. So he, he had an effect on time, um, but he wouldn't have been able to actually jump in there and fight with her. It doesn't seem like, so it's kind of, it, yeah. you know, the, they haven't defined the rules and I think that's probably good because then it allows us to speculate and it makes it more fun, but there are, it does. Um, it, it is interesting to try to figure out exactly what the emperor would be able to do. You know, what if he was able to figure out how to get in there, 
You know, what mm. damage could he do to the galaxy? What advantage would it give him? Well, this is something I think that's really cool because in the episode, The Kindred, this is where um, the wolves are able to have access to this world between worlds because that's how they travel from one part of the planet to the other. They literally go into the world between worlds and then they come back out the other side. So they have some connection in that way. Um, and I, I like what you're saying, Aaron. I, I love that there's so much mystery around it because in the end, again, I feel like, you know, like George, he never told you where Yoda comes from and he never will. Like he would, he was never going to tell you where Yoda came from, what his species was. It was better to have the mystery of Yoda and who he was than to just spell it all out for you. And I kind of feel like the world between worlds is that way too, as well as the way that the, you know the the intricacies of of how the wolves are connected to the force and how all that works you know um but um as per what the emperor could do i i got the feeling like obviously this this world between worlds to me one it reminded me so much of narnia um with um the magician's nephew where they go into um the wood between the worlds and they're the different pools and you can jump into them into different worlds. So it's very similar to that in that way. Um, but I got the feeling like this is a, this is Ahsoka says it's ancient. So it feels like, again, something that connects with Mortis and those gods there and those beings um, as this way of being able to um and the the wolves specifically say in um, the episode Doom that it's knowledge. So this is a way to have knowledge, um, and I guess um, probably wisdom by being able to see what's happening in other times or how things play out or whatever. So specifically, this is about knowledge for yourself and not necessarily just about affecting you know, like jumping through portals and, you know, just like, hey, let's uh, let's go to the world between worlds. Anybody want to go to the, you know, old Republic time period today? All right, let's do it. You know, this is not a TARDIS. Right. Um, you know, Star Wars TARDIS. So um, it does seem to be much more. Dave, I get the feeling like he has some pretty specific world rules for how this works. So, um, but yeah, I mean, this middle part of the season does such a great job of setting all that stuff up so that once we get to when that kind of stuff happens in the season i think it's it's really well done so what do you think palpatine wants with this world between worlds i think palpatine specifically thinks he will be able to use this to control time and space for all eternity um, and I think given enough time to understand it and to be in it, he would have that opportunity. Um, I think he would break all of the rules that are around it and create a empire that lasts millennia. You know, that, that would be his, his goal. Um, and that he wouldn't care about, obviously, any of the quote-unquote rules of this place. Ahsoka instinctively seems to know them, being there it's 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 almost as if she can feel that plus also i mean again she has the connection to the daughter um so i think she even has more of a uh, of a connection to this place and understanding it and she instinctively knows no you can't just go jumping into all these portals and 
you know, affecting time. That's not the way this works. That's not how any of this works. Right. Right. It's not. A That's be- not how the force works. <laughs> it's not a Bajoran wormhole either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it, it doesn't seem that. But um, also to the danger you, we saw of, of Palpatine um, with his Sith magics being able to almost pull himself in because there was somebody there that could allow him to finally enter. Like, he couldn't get there by himself. Yeah. There had to be something else in the world between worlds grounding so that he could pull himself in. Well, he's obviously um, got a portal in front of him if he's standing there and he's shooting fire through it. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, and and I liked, um, I also liked the feeling that Ahsoka's lightsabers maybe are a little bit more special than normal lightsabers as they had an impact on his Sith magics, which I don't know if we've ever seen before of them being able to disrupt something like that. So maybe feel like that there's something more special that uh, obviously by the end too, we get that feeling, but um, I don't think jumping. Yeah. I don't think we've ever even seen Palpatine or any character use that type of attack before. Uh, No, because the last time we saw the, that bowl um, was the Clone Wars, you know, uh, in the Clone Wars. Yeah. At the, at the end of um, the, uh, the Yoda arc where, um, Sit Dooku and 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 Sidious attack Yoda on Moribond. So yeah, it kind of reminded me of like because I think Dave was using the terminology he was using Sith alchemy at that point. Mm-hmm. He's like casting spells almost, which then reminds you of like the Night Sisters and yes, kind of blending of the magics and the Force. And I mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of cool to see. You know, Palpatine's that type of character that. He's not going to just straight up use the force. He's going to use the force in any way he can possibly use to give himself an advantage. And so he's probably out there really researching all the other groups that use the force, you know, all the other dark side and probably light side groups out there that are tapping into this power. And so he's not just going to just shoot Sith lightning at you. You know, he's, he's going to use He's going to use magic and alchemy and whatever he can to try to figure all this stuff out and gain power. Well, I mean, as we're talking about the wolves and the worlds and the doors and all of this, um, I was I was ecstatic. I I I I squeed like a child when they saved Ahsoka, um, and so I wanted to ask you guys um, how you felt about that. Obviously, this is before we got to the very end, and, and we see that reveal. But um, how how did you feel about the way that they utilized her in that? that episode and 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 obviously giving it just a little bit more of a glimpse of the fact that she really did live um as you know the she walks down at the end you know into uh further into malachor we see that she did she lived ahsoka lives really oh my gosh you know uh, (laughs) (laughs) name of the show ahsoka lives question mark if they do any other show or anything about ahsoka let's stop the whole Ahsoka alive or dead stuff. I mean, that that's going to start to get old after a while. That almost would be like, ooh, did Phasma really live through The Last oh. Jedi? I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to get a shirt that says Phasma lives. Just for you, Matt. You could wear it. And, and a question mark. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, I thought it was brilliant. Uh, first of all, the episodes that we're talking about where uh, Ezra is in the void is probably my favorite episodes of any of the rebels uh 
uh, seasons uh, in any of the episodes that have gone on in the four seasons. But uh, four seasons. Hmm. Uh, but I would say that Ahsoka coming into it just made it even more special because walking through that void, like who else better than maybe like Yoda showing up to explain things or even Obi-Wan, that would be cool. But I think it was more appropriate to be Ahsoka because I think of the connection with Mortis, as you were saying, Matt, and, and I, when Ezra saw Ahsoka and was able to reach in and bring her in, I love that because it wasn't just did Ahsoka survive the, battle with Darth Vader but it was Ezra that apparently saved her an older Ezra and I just thought that was really cool and then using her wisdom and guidance for Ezra through the void of what not to do and what to do was just like spot on I mean again you think about that character she was in that first season of Clone Wars and where she is now Man, I mean, this character has just grown completely. I mean, she's so different than what she used to be. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of of two minds of it, actually. I really love Ahsoka as a character, and I think the way they decided to bring her back and use her, it, it did make sense. Um, and, and then especially since you kind of see what happens at the very end where she shows up and her and Sabine seem to be going on some sort of a, you know, quest together. Um but I, some one thing that does kind of annoy me about Star Wars sometimes is their inability to commit to a character dying, and I think that I was, I like the idea of Ahsoka facing off against Vader, sacrificing herself so the Rebels could survive, and that being a, a fitting end to that character. Um, but I think they couldn't resist the temptation and the fan service, if I'm going to use that term, fan service, to bring this you know, popular character back. Um, and I think as a fan of Star Wars and a fan of that character, extremely excited to see her back. But just from a story perspective, I think it may, it, I may have preferred her to kind of that be her end. And then they focus more on the rebels uh, moving forward. I so agree with you, Aaron, but I will say that's why I was thrilled that they, he didn't rescue Kanan. Yeah. Because I thought when, once he brought, uh, Ahsoka in, I was like, oh, of course, Kanan didn't really die now because Ezra's going to save Kanan and then everything's going to be happily ever after. And when he decided not to do it, when she convinced him not to do it, I was like, good, because it just opens up that void of just saving anybody at any time and now it becomes like any death is is worthless because oh well anybody could go through this world between worlds and go through the void and bring anybody back through the gateway and now we've established that not necessarily that's not necessarily going to happen nor we don't know if it can happen yeah and i i mean i love kanan favorite character in all of star wars but if they had saved his life in that way i would have been very upset you know i i in like i was kind of saying for ahsoka i felt like that was a fitting end for kanan and that by bringing him back into the show, as much as I love that character, it would have tainted his story. Um, now, I don't think I'm not saying that bringing Ahsoka back was a mistake. Um, I just I'm very 50 50 on it. But I'm also super excited about, you know, what we saw at the very end, you know, and her in that awesome outfit with the robes and she's meeting up with Sabine and they're going to find Ezra like that potential story is totally worth bringing her back. I do think um, Ahsoka is different than Kanan at this point um and part of that is i think obviously just to spoil it at the very end when we see ahsoka there is something 
completely different about her uh, in the in the sense of who she is, what she represents. Um, I mean, Dave cannot resist his Lord of the Rings uh, illusions, and she is clearly, you know, Ahsoka the White in the sense that there is something that has gone beyond all conventional means. Like she is a completely different type of character, and and in some ways, I think, you know, it, it seems as though she's somewhere between a Jedi and a Mortis God on the spectrum of, of what she is. And I think the, the understanding of what she will be then is going to be very interesting. And so for her to live, I, I definitely, you know, when we're talking about kind of expanding um, the universe and what it all means and everything, I think is, um, is really interesting. And of course, you know, I love to just her, talking to the convoy, you know, saying, um, uh, and, and, um, you know, actually, uh, Morai is, is, is her name. Like she's, that's the name of the daughter. We never knew that before. So, um, kind of cool to get those connections. And so I don't know. Um, I'm probably too much of a fan of Ahsoka. Um, she's my favorite. Yeah. You, you star Wars female character. You just ever. compared her to a God. So yeah, you're, yeah, um, so yeah, I, 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 it is, it is, it is a little bit tainted. But what I also think uh, uh, is pivotal in that scene, and we skipped, we skipped the Canaan end. We're going to talk about all that, so don't, 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 don't think we're just skipping things. Um, but what I love is that she is the pivotal key to um, unlocking the the final lesson of Canaan for Ezra, and that it makes sense because she just learned that lesson as well. And so they're learning it together and, and it makes sense, but it's also beautiful because it's the lesson that Anakin couldn't learn. It's the lesson that a lot of Jedi couldn't learn. And both Ahsoka and Ezra show themselves and Kanan all show themselves to be the best kind of Jedi in the end. Um, and the, the fact that it's Ahsoka helping Ezra learn that lesson at that moment was beautiful because when she says, you can't save your master and I can't save mine either, it's just heartbreaking. Like, it, it's just absolutely heartbreaking. The beauty for Ahsoka is, and, sh- and she won't, it'll be interesting to see if she ever gets and, and learns the story of, of Anakin turning back. That would be kind of a beautiful short story to read. Um, hint, hint, Del Rey, hint, hint. Um, but like that it's not going to be her that can reach him. She knows that now. She can't save him. Um, and I wonder um, how that affects, I'm going to, this just came to my mind. How, I just finished the the uh, the novelization for The Last Jedi and Luke has a little line in there. He adds a little bit more about when he's talking to Leia, he's like, I can't save him. I know that I can't save Ben. Well, Ahsoka says the same thing about Anakin. She can't save him. But is there somebody else that can save Ben? The same way there was somebody else that could reach Anakin? I don't know. Maybe they're setting up that connection. So Possibly. But I don't know who would, uh, who would save him. That's the thing. Are we switching to I sequel mean, trilogy talk now? Yeah, well, I mean, it was just a random question that came up because I, I mean, I just put those two things together, you know, that 
you know, Ahsoka clearly knows she can't be the one to save him, but he will be saved. Maybe there's something with, yeah, going to the sequel trilogy. Maybe there's something between uh, Ray and Mortis we don't know. I doubt it because they'd have to explain that in the movies, but you know, and maybe she's the one that saves Ben, but that's a whole nother discussion. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't think, I think that there is a, there's a veil that will not be broken between, you know, some elements in the television shows and the movies. Um, If they were going to introduce something like Mortis, we would have already, we would already heard about it in one of the other films, but um yeah, I don't know. Like selfishly, my for me because I don't like the character of Kylo Ren. Or well, I like actually no, that's not true. I like the character. I don't like him. I want him to die. Um, I think he's a great character, <laughs> but he's he's evil. I want him to die. Um, so you know, I kind of hope they do, I hope they flip it than what they did with the original trilogy and kind of the redemption arc for Anakin. Um, I hope that this isn't the same type of story. Um, you know, yeah, where it's yeah. a redemption arc for. Kylo, I, I hope it's different. I'm actually right there with you. I mean, that's I I I don't want that either. Um, it just thinking, uh, having just read the novelization for it, just brought back, you know, this connection. And I don't know, you know, and and it makes it interesting that they could go either way because they have precedent for it now. Definitely, um, it's a good. I mean, it's definitely a good call out because as much as I don't like the idea of him being redeemed, I. I don't think it's impossible that that's where they're going with the story. Um, and they're setting things up that, you know, that line that you quoted from Luke is a perfect example of like, he's saying, yeah, I, you know, I can't save him, but that doesn't mean somebody else can't. Um, and right. we've seen a character, you know, as far gone as Darth Vader, who did all the atrocities that he did and was still able to be redeemed by his son. So, you know, they're, if if Vader can be redeemed, <laughs> anybody can be redeemed, really. Well, and they they could have been setting that up also because the thought was to have Leia redeem him. But yeah, uh, it could have yeah, been. Yeah, not gonna happen. Um, can you? I just I, I totally quick aside. We were talking about. I was talking about this last night with my brother in law. Um, can you imagine being uh, Kylo Ren and 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 now Luke can just haunt you all the time? I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not. Tu- like he could be the world's most obnoxious force. That's ghost. how Mark Hamill would probably be. <laughs> uh, it's exactly how Mark Hamill would do it. And then he'd just put his hand through him and he'd be like, "I'm still not touching you. I'm not touching you." I can see like, Mark Hamill doing uh, that. If Mark Hamill passes yes. away before Harrison Ford, that's what he's going to haunt Harrison Ford with. <laughs> I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. <sighs> Get out of oh. here, kid. <laughs> um, okay, we do need to talk about Kanan's noble end um, because I, I think there. Uh, let me put it this way: that was there spoiled th- by John Williams' soundtrack. By the way, for it me. totally spoiled by John Williams' soundtrack. Um, but there, there was, there were a few things in this season where I would be watching an episode and I just find myself, and I'm going to be honest, I was tearing up because there were just moments where it was just like, it was too much. I had, I had come to care about these characters in a way that I did not expect. And Kanan and his connection with Hera and the rest of the team and Ezra and everything in his end was one of the very best things that this show has done. Like it was done, I think, perfectly. It was one of the uh, best things that Star Wars has done. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, they that his character. I mean, from the get go, I kind of figured I'd like him. Um, he tends to fall into that that character type that I I tend to be drawn to. Um, 
And so I kind of knew roguishly handsome Jedi Knight, which I mean, I I yeah consider you one of those. I like yeah yeah definitely. I like my men roguishly handsome and Jedi Knights. That's that are there are some of the qualifications. <laughs> oh <my> but yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean he's just that like in I hate to use this term because it's such it's so shallow, but he's just cool. You know, he's just a cool character and kind of what I always imagined a Jedi would be like. Like that's kind of how I imagined Luke would be. You know, post Return of the Jedi you know, in his prime. That's how I imagined other... Sadly, he wasn't. Well, we don't know. There was a lot of time we didn't get to see. So there there maybe was a time period that Luke was like that. <laughs> you, but... you, uh, I, I want to I put this out there in the internet ether. Um, as as John Mills, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm giving you all credit for this, my friend, and uh, uh, copyright John Mills, 2018, uh, Luke Skywiner. <laughs> I'm not going... I'm not, I'm not jumping on that one right now. But yeah... <laughs> Um, Kanan just I loved Kanan throughout the show and I think it, they showed the relationship between a master and a Padawan that we never really got to see with Obi-Wan and Anakin you know Anakin was yeah. a different you know Anakin was always chasing power and you know feeling like he was slighted and he was just kind of that bratty teenager and and Ezra had his bratty teenager moments too but I really liked that relationship between Kanan and Ezra and then we got to see kind of the parental relationship between Kanan and Hera and then when they give us the ending that they gave us with him, where he, where Kanan, you know, does the kind of, he shows amazing amount of force ability enabled in his ability to hold back the blast, but also the focus to make sure he saves the people he cares about. And he's saving his apprentice. He's saving his, the person he loves. He's saving all of his friends. And it's just the perfect ending for a Jedi Knight. Like any Jedi Knight is that's how they want to go out, you know, like doing right and saving their friends. And I just I don't think they could have written a better ending for for Kanan for me as a fan. Um and just the whole like top it off with like him looking at Hera and his eyes clear up and oh my goodness, it was just it was perfection. His eyes clear up, mine tear up. It's, you know. <laughs> Yeah, which I didn't catch the first time about the eyes clearing up. I saw that while I rewatched it. So um, I, I do feel like this was a great way to end his character. Uh, and yeah, I mean, this is one of the first times we really get to see a Jedi outside of Obi-Wan in Clone Wars, but really focus so much on that relationship between Kanan and Ezra as the, and, and Kanan as the Jedi Master. But uh, for me, this episode didn't work as well as it did for most people. And I think it's because, um, well, I just the way it played, it had those tropes of, Oh, the couple is getting back to get, you know, is getting together. They're confessing their love for each other. And I'm like, okay, here we go. Kanan's dead. I mean, it's like, I saw it coming and I kept waiting for it. And then he lost his lightsaber and I was like, okay, this is it. Oh, nope, not yet, but it's coming. It's coming. And, I guess the thing I was disappointed is I I knew I could see it was coming. And I think one reason I was expecting it is because I knew we were at nearing the end of the series. If this series was still going another, on for another few seasons, I wouldn't have seen it coming probably. But I will say re-watching it because I did a whole uh, binge watch of season four, I think it played better 
uh, for me watching the previous episodes leading into it because there is that confession and that almost kissed, almost kiss again between Kanan and, and Hera that it didn't seem as obvious going into this episode. It just seemed natural that they were confessing their love to each other because it was building up. I think it's because this episode came on after a break of like a month or two had that distance for me that didn't work when played together with the other previous episodes. I didn't get choked up, but the second time I watched it, I got choked up when Ezra went over to Zeb and Zeb's like, you know, what happened? And he's like, he's gone. You know, Kanan's gone. He's like, yeah, I mean, he's yeah, kid- kidnapped. Great... And I mean, that's why I lost mm-hmm. it when, when Zeb hugged Ezra, I'm like, Oh, oh when no. Chopper grabs Hera's hand and yes. you're just like, <laughs> oh, like it just, you're turning the knife in your heart. What, why um, am I tearing up? We definitely they they definitely telegraphed his death, but I, I'm trying to think back like if they had done it differently, where they completely blindsided us with his death, I feel like it wouldn't have meant as much. Like it might have been a cool like way to do it and like catch you off guard. And you're like, oh man, I didn't see that coming. But then they wouldn't have had those moments and in, in those goodbyes that I think they those characters needed. So I can I totally get where you're coming from though, Bruce, yeah. because you're right. There were moments where I'm just like, oh okay, here we go. Like. uh you know, she finally said, I love you. Uh, you know, his lightsaber falls off the edge of that building. I think that was kind of the first giveaway for me. Once he lost his lightsaber, I'm like, doesn't he kind of need that? Um, you know, so I totally get where you're coming from, but I feel like they almost had to do it the way they did it. Yeah. And, and again, the second time I watched it though, I noticed that when Kanan sees Ezra and Sabine off, he stops him for a second. Hey guys, may the force be with you. As if he was saying that as his last words to them, I almost felt like Kanan knew that he was dying. Yeah. That he knew it was And I coming. think Filoni said as much in, uh, in the Q and a kind of like he, even with the whole, like cutting his hair and kind of that transformation before he goes off into that mission. I think he, he pretty much knew he was going and not coming back. The thing that, that worked so well for me about it is, I mean, obviously knew it was coming. Um, I was heartbroken to see uh, his lightsaber fall into the hands of Price. Um, and uh, I love that lightsaber. Kanan's lightsaber is an f- amazing lightsaber. Um, but the thing that works so well for me is the way that Kanan proves himself to be, and, and, and Ezra does this too by the end of the series, they both prove themselves to be what the Jedi should have always been, what they, what they should have continued to be. Um and which is basically the, um, you know, the warrior monk out among the people helping. Uh, and and it, it's, a, it's a brilliant job that they show. In fact, um, Kanan even shows how a Jedi Knight can have attachment and still be a Jedi Knight and still do the job that he's called to do. He just realizes the limitations he has. He gives the responsibility for that mission to Ezra because he he correctly calls out because of the way I feel about Hera, I can't be trusted to make the best decision. So, and, and, and so again, you, you really do show the ways in which the Jedi could have been if they hadn't been so dogmatic and Kanan and Ezra, I think prove themselves to be um, as close to the perfect Jedi as possible. Like of any, any Jedi we've ever seen Luke, Yoda, Obi-Wan, included these two show how it's done right in the sense that they they also um die well you know um and 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 um 
I don't know. There's something about these two that I think does not get enough credit, even in fandom. Um, and I think their renowned as Jedi is, is only going to grow. And honestly, <laughs> uh, Aaron, you called it out earlier, but this is exactly what I hoped Luke would be um, between six and seven and through the sequel trilogy. And sadly, he wasn't. Yeah, and we get Luke at such a further point in the timeline, um, and we don't know everything he did between, you know, Return of the Jedi and The Last Jedi. Um, And so I would love to see some stories uh, that fill that gap in to kind of see where he got to that point, Mm -hmm. why he was so, you know, just down on himself and kind of sitting on this island just kind of waiting to die. I, You know, there is a big disconnect there between a character that we see at the end of return of the Jedi with this positive outlook, that's going to reestablish the Jedi. And then what we get in the last Jedi, there's a big disconnect. And I think there's an opportunity with all of that time for them to give us a story or stories where we do get to see Luke in his prime. And we do get to see a more Kanan like Luke, which sounds weird when you're trying to like compare who is like kind of the essential Jedi out there, like Luke Skywalker You're saying, Oh, I wish he was more like Kanan, <laughs> you know, like a character from an animated series that, a lot of fandom probably doesn't even know exists. Um, but And part yeah. of me doesn't want that though, because like I, I if if Luke was more like that and he descends into what he is in The Last Jedi, I almost just never want to know. Because I, I don't want any more disappointment. It would like, lead Luke is so much a disappointment than the but I don't, I don't know. That's just me personally. I love how the the interconnectivity of Star Wars that you can't talk about Rebels without talking about the sequel trilogy. Like it yeah, all connects, it's amazing. which is great. Um, so now we're jumping back into the sequel trilogy, apparently. <laughs> um, I think that with Luke, and I see what you're saying there, you almost don't want to see him at that point. But I think that it would be a nice, it would be nice to see him in his prime and then see the fall and then the end of The Last Jedi might mean a little bit more because we get to see him have that yeah, triumphant that's, moment that's, that's at the true. end. So he kind of comes yeah, back to himself. Um, and I think because we never got to see him in his prime, then we, when he does have his triumphant moment at the end of The Last Jedi, um, it didn't mean as much. And now, I'm obviously, yeah, you and yeah. I had more issues with The Last Jedi than a lot of people did. So a lot of people really liked what they did um, with Luke. Um, but there are a decent amount of fans that didn't. So... I think for me, I, I do want to see more. I want to see more of what he was doing after Return of the Jedi. Well, and and I will say this, you know, uh, Bruce, you and I talked about the Legends of Luke Skywalker book, and some of those stories, Luke feels a lot like this. Um, the ones that were really good in that book, uh, I, you know, I did feel that about Luke. He he felt a lot like that, which was great. Um, That's how I feel. He's probably th- been through most yeah. of his time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we just didn't get to see it, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, what leads him to be a a huge whining baby at the end? I don't know. Well, he um, started anyway. off that way. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's true. That's yeah. true. <laughs> that's true. He just reverted. He reverted back. Um, so uh, yeah. It, it, again, uh, to me, Kanan's noble end is is aptly. Um, I mean, it's just that he is to me. Um, he. He honestly reminds me of 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 all of the old Jedi. He reminds me most of Obi Wan, uh, in that sense. Like he, uh, you know, Obi Wan was able to do the right thing with Satine. Um, he was able to let her go. Kanan's able to let things go. I mean, like, he, um, but I, I think uh, 
I, for me to be able to say this is huge, but I think he transcends even where Yoda goes because he, he fully is able to be everything that a, a Jedi should have been um, even more so than Obi-Wan because he, he, he transcended the level of being allow, allowing himself to be able to have a relationship with somebody and still not allow that, uh, that attachment to cloud the moment he was needed most. In fact, I love uh, uh, Ahsoka saying that to, to Ezra, how Kanan found the moment that he was needed most and he met that challenge. And I think that's just kind of a beautiful thing. It's even a great life lesson. I, I feel like um, Rebels, again, kind of does the very thing that George wanted to do in the very beginning. He used to show stories that teach great lessons for us to be able to learn, even as adults, you know? Like, where's the moment that I'm needed most in my life? And I need to continue to look for that at those places. So, uh, you know, Kanan's a good example of how to live. So uh, I think that's kinda, really cool. Kanan's kind of from that Qui-Gon Jinn school of Jedi. Yes, yes, like I yes. Think Kanan, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Qui-Gon, they, they seem very similar. Um, and maybe a, we may have learned a lesson from, you know, kind of the, if it seems like Kanan and Ezra did so well as Jedi um, that maybe, maybe Jedi do better in, you know, as a master and Padawan kind of on their own, you know, they, instead of having this council that you're constantly reporting to, or this, this larger temple that you have to go back to, like, you know, maybe they work better as these almost like, um, gypsy, like, you know, uh, characters that kind of travel around the galaxy, just helping people. And they're not necessarily going out on specific missions. They're just, you know, they're where they let the force guide kind of where they go instead of a council. Yeah, I can so see that because I think what we saw in the series is I think Ezra made Kanan the Jedi he became. Because mm -hmm. if you go back and you read A New Dawn, and I know that's not you know, necessarily part of the series, but when we see Kanan early on and we see some of it in season one, I mean, he's kind of reckless. I mean, he, he's not the ideal Jedi. And it wasn't until Ezra came into his life where he had to take that responsibility and now be a mentor. And all of a sudden, I think he, you, because of Ezra, he found his path to be a Jedi because he didn't have that influence through those dark times. And Ezra brought him back to that and made him focused yep. and centered on being a Jedi. I, I will say that Rebels does the last Jedi story better than the last Jedi because that's exactly what Ray was meant to be for Luke, right? Um, this story of of uh, Ezra and Kanan is is a mirror for that story. Ezra, uh, Kanan doesn't want to be a Jedi anymore. You know, um, it is it is Ezra that reignites the flame of the Force and and the Jedi, true Jedi spirit in Kanan, um, and he becomes a better Jedi because of his Padawan. And vice versa, obviously. Um, and it's kind of the story that I hoped for Luke, too, right? Like uh, His story isn't over, though. But here, it, it really had... I, I think, it, at least here, just within Rebels, um, you see a picture of how the Jedi can function uh, in a way that is perfectly in line and in tune with the Force... Uh, the way they always should have been. And I think, again, Ezra and Kanan are just a great picture of, hopefully, you know, what, you know, in the sequel trilogy, Rey will learn, right? Um, through her ancient Jedi texts and 
the legend of Luke Skywalker, and who knows? Uh, well, you know, she could always run into Ahsoka and Ezra. So, uh, unlikely. <laughs> unlikely, but wouldn't? Uh, yeah, mm, raises a lot of questions. Anyway, okay, so let's get to the end. Um, freeing Lothal and the the, the finale here with the last three episodes um just i was blown away by the way that this series brings itself to an end and the way that it 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 brings full circle so many of the different things that we had seen like well bruce we got puffer pigs and we got purgle and um all of these things that kind of take little bits and pieces of rebels to make those episodes more important than you thought they would be and honestly, it reminded me of the way that J.K. Rowling plants seeds throughout all of her books so that by the time you get to the very end, all of these little things mean something that you didn't expect to mean something, but they came really important. And to me, that's fantastic storytelling. And so it, it created a finale that allowed me to enjoy the full season the full series of Rebels in a way that I hadn't before this happened. And that is a successful end. Yeah, because it's going to make it more fun now to go back and watch those episodes, which we thought were, quote, fillers. And now you're going to watch them in a totally different way, especially when it comes to the Puffer Pig, too. But no, not really. <laughs> and I didn't know, even catch that there was a Puffer Pig in it. Well, it wasn't in the finale, but it was oh, okay. a couple episodes before that, I think, so... But there was a bu- bunch of little puffer pigs. But um, the Purgo, I was a little disappointed that they were in the atmosphere because I like to think of them as whales that exist in deep space and not float in gravity. But, you know, <laughs> they've got some weird force connections, I guess. I mean, to me, that would be like seeing a whale from the sea come out and just run around San Francisco or something. It's like, no, they belong in the I water. I hate it when that happens. <laughs> oh, another whale attack. I like that Sindula, uh, their kid is uh, named Jason. And spelled the same way as Jason from the EU. Yeah, hopefully he doesn't turn into a huge <laughs> jerk and destroy destroy the galaxy. But yeah, that was an interesting. It's funny how like different rea- people have different reactions to different things, and you either love it or hate it. But that I, I know that was a big, you know, either love it or hate it, hate it type of moment. Like I, when I heard the name Jason, I was like, oh, I wonder how they spell it. You know, it, it was the first thing I thought, just because you know you think of Jason Solo from Legends. Um, and then you know, you look at you look at the uh, subtitles, and they did spell it the same way. And so it's like, oh, that's kind of a nice nod, you know. I feel like we've had things like that happen before with characters where it's like, oh, we're not going to ever bring Jason Solo into into canon, so why not just you know have an, another character with the same name, kind of as a nod to it. They had to be aware of that. I don't think it was a coincidence that they named him Jason and spelled it that way. But there are plenty of people out there that were like, well, how dare they use that name kind of thing, you know? So, yeah, you can't please everybody. I I loved it. I mean, the only thing was that I looked to my wife and I was like, when did that happen? (laughs) That's what I was wondering. So, so, um, I, I rewatching the series. I'm pretty sure it happens in the episode, the kindred. There's a couple of points in there where Hera and Kanan are, or have alone time. And, uh, it could have happened before their conversation or after their conversation at the beginning of the episode. So, um, I don't think he came back yeah. as a force ghost and that's when it happened. It's definitely, it's <laughs> definitely, uh, no, I don't think he's uh, birthed by, you know, Canaan's midi chlorians. So, I, um, I mean, I think it's funny that people are trying to pin down exactly, 
you know, oh, when, when would it, I mean, like, what are they, they obviously were in a romantic relationship. I mean, it's that, that happens when you're, yeah. when you're doing that stuff. Uh, yeah. It's official. Uh, they were space married. Okay. They totally were. Yeah. I mean, and it actually came as a surprise to me because I was having this conversation with my Star Wars Bookworms co-host, Teresa Delgado, after, you know, after his death, I turned to her and I was like, oh, I was like, oh, it's too bad that like, you know, there's no way that Hera's pregnant because that would be cool if she had a child, a Kanan's child, so she could have something to kind of remember him by and like a part of him still with her. And, but we both were just like, yeah, there's no way that this show is going to go there. You know, that it's just, it's a kid's show. You know, you don't necessarily want to, you know, kind of open those questions up, you know, with your children when, you know, you're watching the show. Like, oh, wait, mommy, how did Hera have a baby? Yeah. So it's like, oh, I don't think they're going to go there. And then we're watching it and it, and it happens and they show this kid and I'm like, oh, wow. Like I, I thought that would be a cool thing and I wrote it off and it actually still happened. So it was, uh, I think it's cool. I, I thought the character, the kid looked kind of weird. I don't know why. Like, you know, if you yeah. mix a human in a Twi'lek, like you would think it would look a little more Twi'lek-ish. You get green hair. I don't know. That I, is the green hair a dyed green hair? You know, is he just, know. you know, or is it really? I, I, well, I mean, he does have Aunt Sabine, right? So Right. Yeah, that influence <laughs> maybe. But um, <laughs> it's. I think it's cool. I think it's cool to have a kid. I, I'm. Um, it would be cool to see him play a role in, you know, future stories. Uh, maybe go on a mission to go recover his dad's lightsaber or something. But I think there's a lot of story that can still be told with these characters. And, they're in, and they introduce, you know, a character like him who, you know, who knows if he's force sensitive or not. But um you know that that's a nice uh option for them for stories for future stories i mean i hope he is i mean i think it would be really cool to have him force sensitive and maybe be a part uh i mean heck you could see him in the last jedi and you could you don't even necessarily have to make a big deal of it right yeah like a background um, character or something yeah so maybe he's uh, one of the knights of ren <laughs> Uh, well, let's hope not. Or, or uh, what would be worse is if he was part of the original uh, Luke's temple and then was murdered. And then died. So yeah. let's not have that happen. So, um, I I loved. I mean, the look. I I really enjoyed the way that Dave used the Purgle in the story. Um, I I thought what made that so wonderful is that it tied into the end of uh season three, and that Thrawn is unable to the way to trip up the master chess player is to put a piece on the board that he doesn't understand. And Thrawn doesn't understand anything that has anything to do with the force and or nature. Um, That he thinks purely in technological and psychological terms. He's not thinking about the way that these... um, these natural force sensitive things have an impact on the world. But Ezra, on the other hand, we have seen throughout the entire series be somebody who connects. He connects to people. He connects to nature. Uh, he connects to everything that is around him. And um, it, it really brings to light the way in which all that is natural and beautiful in the galaxy helps destroy all that is bad about technology in the same way that the, the Ewoks are a part of the, you know, the battle in Endor and destroying the empire. They're pivotal in that, you know, the, the things that you don't expect around you that, that the empire just, you know, doesn't even think about that's what becomes their downfall. And, and I really liked the, what that represents 
uh, in the Star Wars galaxy. And I, that's why I feel that it works. It's not just, you know, Deus Ex Pergil, right? It's, it's actually something that really fits with everything that George had created in the Star Wars galaxy. So to me, when they came in, I just kind of like, again, I was kind of squeeing like a kid because it, it made so much sense to me. Yeah, and it's nice, too, that the way that ended with them going into hyperspace leaves that door open. And it's not, you know, there was questions, will Ezra still live after the series? And that's kind of left open-ended. I think Dave has since then said, yeah, he's still alive. And I assume that both he and Thrawn are. But I think those are two characters that people were wondering how they were going to be resolved at the end of the series. And instead, it's left as a question mark. And I, I like that because it leaves the door open to go any Thrawn direction. Thrawn lives? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll get you that shirt too. And I think Thrawn, <laughs> you know, you can make your own like as, you know, assumptions of what's happened to them. And you brought up Ewoks. I'd like to think that they went to you know Endor, and the Ewoks are just stabbing Thrawn over and over again, just teasing them. <laughs> just a worse way to die. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. I, th- I mean, just from watching it, like without hearing the Q and A, without hearing anything that. Filoni said afterwards because he did clarify a lot of things um, when it came to this stuff but just from watching the show after I was done watching the finale I was convinced that Ezra lived you know they made it pretty clear just from watching the show Ezra was definitely alive Um, but I was completely convinced that Thrawn there's no way he would have survived you know jumping through hyperspace with without any, you know, with the windows butt bashed out, you know, completely exposed to hyperspace and wherever they end up landing, you know, they're going to be in space. Um, that, well, I mean, they could have jumped to another planet, right? Like it, um, we, we saw, um, we've seen Han do that, jump into the atmosphere of a planet. It's it's definitely something that we've seen, but it's not common. Um, well, you know, but but neither are Purgle coming to save the galaxy. Right. Yeah. But I mean, even just traveling through hyperspace, I guess now maybe now we know you don't need uh, you don't need windshields to travel through hyperspace. But apparently not. Yeah, I thought. Well, and is it is it Ezra keeping them alive through the force, too? I mean, he is holding. uh, Ezra was literally holding everything together like the um, the bashed in window. The glass hasn't moved. It's still hanging in the the air. So it's as if Ezra is holding all of that together and we've seen his strength. So yeah, uh, I mean, now that I, yeah. Dave, Dave has now said like it's, he's clearly said that Thrawn is alive. So yeah. we know he's alive. And so now it's, you know, if you, if you want to go and start explaining how it could have happened, sure. It could have been a force bubble. It could have been the ship had some built in security feature that dropped the force field before they jumped into hyperspace. Like there's all kinds of ways you can explain it. But from just watching it without hearing Dave's commentary, I was just 100% convinced that Thrawn died. A um, little disappointed that he didn't die just because I kind of wanted his character to die. I wanted to have that closure with him. But, um, you know, if they're if they're keeping him alive for storytelling reasons um, for a future series or story that's going to include Ezra and Sabine and Ahsoka and Jason and all these cool characters, then, yeah, it makes sense to keep a villain alive that you can have for those stories, too. Oh, and my favorite death is Rook because I couldn't stand Rook. He was creepy. Oh, that was amazing. Like the fact that, that I, because I wanted him and, and Zeb to have a fight, right? Like I wanted it to be a rumble in the, I guess, 
I don't know, Jungle? construction dome. <laughs> um, but uh, the fact that, they, that that's how he went out, like I love that Zeb got the upper hand, caught him in there and just electrocuted him to death. That was awesome. <laughs> Kind of dark, a uh, little. It was really dark. Flippant for uh, like killing a character that way. Yeah. What did you guys think of um, I the the end for Zeb and Callus? Because I I thought that that was a really. The show is kind of full of like redemptive arcs for people. Like everybody kind of. I mean, Sabine has one. Ezra kind of has one. Kanan has one. Um, and and we saw Callus get his redemptive arc too, and I thought that that was a really neat way to end to give them their you know Gimli Legolas trip after the Lord of the Rings, where they go visit you know the caves, and then Gimli gets to go to the uh, to Rivendell. You know they, that's basically their end. Uh, is is that I I loved it. I thought it was great. I mean I, the time the thing that surprised me with this episode and the way it ended, you know, you have the scene where the ghost is flying over Lothal and the, and the citizens are down there and they're kind of revolting against the empire. And you're like, you're seeing the beginning of the rebellion and the ghost being a, and the crew being a part of that. And you're like, okay, you know, closed scene, like credits, that's the end of the show. And then all of a sudden they give us this surprise, like jump into the future where it's, it's like not even just post Yavin, it's post Endor. And all of our characters that survived through the series are still out there and contributing in, in their different ways. Um, that blew my mind. I did not expect that to be the ending for the show. And I loved that they did that. And I love that they surprised me and kind of what you were asking specifically about Zeb and Callus. I think it's, you know, they were building this friendship, you know, they were, you know, such mortal enemies. And I loved the episode where they were kind of trapped in that cave together and all of yes. that. One of my favorite episodes of the series and then to have them to uh, build this bond and this friendship. And then now he's getting to see the people that he thought he had taken a part of wiping out that there's, they're actually thriving and they're accepting him and all of that. Like it's, yeah, it's a great uh, closure to their, you know, those two characters uh, story arc. Yeah. And it's great that Zeb was there because Zeb is the one who really helped bring Kalis over. It's almost like Kalis went from the dark side to the light side and Zeb was his guide. And, to see that Kalis made the right decision. He's now seeing that and now seeing that, you know, he didn't exterminate them and they're still alive and, and Zeb's standing there with him. That, that was a great moment. I love that for the two of them. We finally got the confirmation. Rex was at Endor. Yes. So there you go. Doesn't mean he's the guy That's... in that, that one scene or not, but he was there. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that's what they're implying. I think that's what and they're implying, but I bet if you yeah. ask them, they'll say, eh, it could be, it could not be yeah. him. <laughs> yeah, I just know, I yeah, I'm pretty sure you're Dave. Like, eh, I don't know, like, could be, <laughs> right. you know. Eh. I, I the, the thing that blew me away in the end was obviously Ahsoka standing there um, and who she is and Dave having answered the question um, for fans in the sense that, uh, he said every part of her costume means something. And he's not willing to um, give any details about that costume right now um, to fans who are looking to cosplay because he's keeping it a secret because he hasn't quite figured out what everything means yet. And obviously, I think, you know, if he wants to use Ahsoka in the future, which you can tell he would like to, um, that there are things that he doesn't want to tie himself into just yet. You know, um, but just her being there and clearly Ahsoka the White was uh, a magnificent thing. Not only that, 
but the ship that she comes out in is is a Jedi ship from the Clone Wars that we've seen, and we hadn't seen a ship like that before. And it's like, where did she dig that up? Um, because that's not a ship that we have seen, and I and I'm not amazing with ships, um, so I don't know the number or the name of it, but it's 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 a type of ship we haven't seen since the Clone Wars, and it was something that the Jedi used a lot. Um, so I just seeing that and who she is and everything, her standing there, just I was like, yeah, I'm with uh, Donald Faison. I want that series with her as Sabine looking for Ezra and, you know, what trouble they get into. Like, that's I just that. Yes. Give us that show now. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was it almost felt like they were setting up a, a next series. Like it would feel almost weird if we don't get that story yes. like if they 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 did such an obvious setup and put the right characters in the right place for there to be this this more story to tell and mm-hmm. i mean obviously it's smart as a storyteller to give yourself space to tell more stories but this seems so intentional that if there isn't more that it would almost feel like we got cheated a little bit and i think even with like donald Faison and his question not that it was a setup question even though it kind of felt like a setup question if you were in that if you were there um they made it a point to play that question on the star wars show um when they were yep. doing these highlights and i think if that was something where they were like oh no 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 we're definitely not going that direction um i feel like they wouldn't have played that clip because they wouldn't want to fuel that fire um so the fact that out of all i mean the, the q a that they did was over an hour long of all clips to pick from that q a to play yep on the Star Wars show to me is almost like they're, they're hinting, you know, I'm not saying the next animated series is that, but there's probably some story in the works um, for them to tell that story. I'm right there with you. I can't imagine that you would not do that. I mean, it, it's such a, an amazing series. And I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I want to ask you guys, because th- I, I think this does raise a lot of questions though. About, you know, I mean, if Soka is around during the original trilogy, like, where is she? That's one. Um, but two, if if she's around during the the sequel trilogy, um, how does she not end up running into Luke? Like, how, uh, like how you know, and so it seems like the way to answer that is to have her and, you know, Sabine gone on a long journey looking for Ezra in maybe unknown regions or something so that you're not, you're not having that question. Cause otherwise it, I wonder in my heart, it's like, she seems like the perfect person to be helping Luke figure his S out. Cause apparently he never gets that in order. So like if, if anybody could teach anybody anything about being, um, in tune with the light side of the force, it should be Ahsoka. Um, if she's still so, I mean, alive. It, well, she is though. Is she? She's at the. She's alive at the end of Endor. We saw her. Yeah, but her. not necessarily by the there. time of the Last Jedi. Is what I'm saying. Well, no, not the time of the Last Jedi. But I mean, she's still alive in that interim period. Right. So that whole period, she has time to influence Ahsoka somehow. Lives. So, hmm. as she does. So I. That's the question I wonder then. And so I feel like if you don't do a show to kind of give some sort of answer to that question. Yeah, I've never. I, I've never had an issue with there being more Jedi around um, that we do. No, not me either, but that we don't necessarily see in the movies because, um, you know, there's different mediums to tell stories. You obviously have the books and the comics and the TV shows and the movies. And 
you don't want to eliminate the the ability to use Jedi in all these different mediums. Mm-hmm. So there, yeah. I like the idea that there were other Jedi out there. Um, and I mean, Legends overdid that. You know, there were tons of Jedi that actually survived the the purge and you know were out doing their thing. Um, but I think that a, there's a there's a way you can have Ahsoka and Ezra out there on their own adventures at the same time that Luke's doing his mm-hmm. thing and not ever have them cross paths. And I'm cool with that. Like I. I think it'd be cool if they did cross paths, but I'm not, not expecting it or feeling like it needs to happen in order to, mm-hmm. you know, to work. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think, yeah, it is true. Well, and, and again, uh, I do think that they have set it up, um, in a way that obviously Ahsoka and, and Sabine are busy. So there's a good reason for them to not necessarily be around the rest of the galaxy at that point. So, and, and, and I'm right there with you. I want that series. And Thrawn's an interesting option too, because, you know, we know, we know his connection to, you know, like if, if you're going from the novel and stuff, we know that his purpose of joining the empire is a little deeper than they ever revealed in rebels. Um, I almost wonder if the continuing stories of Ezra and, Sabine and Ahsoka does fit better in, you know, prose as opposed to uh, another animated series um, because then they can kind of explore some of that stuff that they maybe never would have touched in an animated series of like, what is this group that's come, you know, that Thrawn is afraid of that's out there that the whole reason he had joined the empire was to, to help strengthen the empire so they could, uh, you know, go against this unknown group that, you know, is still a mystery you know, so maybe this whole story with Ezra and Sabine and Ahsoka and Thrawn or whoever is involved, they're going to be fighting some other group that's not even associated to yeah, it uh, could the Empire be. or the First Order. Um, so she was busy, you know, while Luke was fighting the First yeah. Order. So, uh, no, that's a that's a great point, Aaron. Um, and I I think what is very clear, um, especially from the the novelization of uh, the Last Jedi, and what we know from Snoke and all that, uh, that the unknown regions really play a huge part in that, and and even Palpatine having an idea that there's something out there, right? And so um, there's a lot going on out there, uh, and they absolutely 100% could have uh, an impact on the the galaxy that we know of without anybody else in the galaxy knowing it. So uh, that would be fantastic. And it's a great way to be able to tell those stories uh, and not necessarily have to, to, to have all the overlap. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, gosh, what a great season, um, I think. And, and, and for me... Uh, the show really proved itself uh, to be worthy of the mantle of Star Wars, you know, and I think Dave uh, and the team did a fantastic job of um, finding a way to really tell a pure Star Wars story. Um, And it, I just, I loved it. Um, I loved this end. I loved this season and I can't wait to now go back and rewatch the entire series. So, um, I don't really think there's a reason to, to rate uh, the, it's not really the, the reason we're talking about it, but anything else for you guys that um, just stuck out to you about the season or, or any last final thoughts? Yeah. The thing that really stuck out to me, which is something I've been wanting to get resolved through the whole series is who is the voice of chopper. And it was confirmed in the credits. That was Dave Filoni. So I'm very excited about that. And I want to <laughs> see video footage of him doing the voice. 
that would be pretty good. <laughs> I that would be a lot of fun. Uh, I I I feel like that could be an extra. Yeah, on the, I bet Blu-ray. we get that. We get that on the Blu-ray. Mm. What about you, Aaron? Any any final thoughts on uh, Rebels as a series and the um, the season four? Um, I mean, I, it, it exceeded my expectations. Um, the series did. I know when it was first announced and kind of the way they described it, I was like, okay, this is cool. This sounds kind of cool, but you know, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. You know, it's never exactly what you think it's going to be or exactly what you hope for. You know, it's just it's just not how these things work typically. You don't they don't make a TV series and you're like, Oh, that's exactly everything that I wanted. You know, like it it always surprises you. And I, this series big time, like I just didn't expect to care as much about the characters as I did. And I feel like they've introduced a group of star Wars characters that I didn't even realize that were essential to star Wars. Um, You know, this, this series didn't even exist however many years ago. And I didn't even know that a character, you know, I didn't know any of these characters even were going to exist and I was fine with that. But now like I couldn't imagine them not being a part of star Wars. Um, so I've, some of my favorite characters of all time in star Wars are on the show. Um, and I, I think they did a great job. I'm not saying everything was perfect. There were times I didn't like episodes. There were criticisms that I had of certain things they they did, but as an overall entity, um, I really loved star Wars rebels and thought it was a great addition to, to the canon. Absolutely, one hundred percent agree. So, and I'm so glad that uh, we got an opportunity to to sit down and, and talk about it. Uh, uh, you know, I kind of feel like I've been uh, chomping at the bit to to want to discuss uh, rebels and and the season and and just it's it's been a fantastic ride. And I'm right there with you, Aaron. Um, you know, I I know when the show was announced, um, I was very skeptical. Um, and I also vocalized, you know, opinions that I had about the show that, you know, um, when I didn't feel like it was kind of living up to its promise, um, or what it could be. And I feel like by the end of the season, this season, um, and by the end of the show, they, they really brought that to a head and, and, and full circle. Um, and, um, they, they made it in the end a worthy successor to the Clone Wars, um, as an animated show. And, and I'm very thankful now that they told this story. It really gave me a whole uh, new group of characters to really cherish in the Star Wars saga, um, and and some of my favorite characters now. I, gosh, you know, uh, as we talked about, you know, for me, there are very few characters uh, Jedi wise that now kind of rival um, Kanan and Ezra, and I never thought that was going to be the case. So um, it's it's fantastic work, uh, and I from 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 me myself and I know from both of you uh, we want to say a huge thank you to everybody involved with Rebels uh the team there you did fantastic work the voice talent behind the scenes was amazing for each one of these characters um everybody working on the show I I think the the last season um the animation team and the lighting team really stepped up their game uh in so many ways, those the the lighting specifically on the last like six episodes was just um, phenomenal. Um, so uh, the music, Kevin Kiner did amazing work. Uh, you know, really adding t- to Rebels and into the Star Wars uh, audio library. What I think of as Star Wars music, great job. So thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate all the hard work that you put in and. I think we're all just uh, on the edge of our seats waiting to figure out what you guys have next for us. So 
thanks for joining us for the show. Uh, make sure uh, you, you check us out all over the place. want to say a huge thank you to Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson, associate producers here through Patreon. Um, their support has meant the world to me on this show uh, and for the network. They make sure that everything we do here on Trek FM keeps coming to you each and every week. Um, Trek FM is a, a huge network, and we can't do it without you. And the way that you can support us is by going to patreon.com slash trekfm and seeing um, all the different support levels we have. Honestly, in the end, every little bit helps. So again, go over to patreon.com slash trekfm and just become part of the team. Um, guys, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I love having both of you on, um, and uh, I, I mean, I love that podcasting brought both of us together, uh, all of us as friends. I mean, it's it's amazing. Star Wars and podcasting is, is what gave me two amazing uh, friends here. And so, uh, Aaron, before I let you go, um, man, where can everybody find you and, and let everybody know uh, what podcasts you're doing so they know what they should be subscribing to? Um, so I do a few podcasts, uh, Star Wars Bookworms. I do with uh, Teresa Delgado. We talk about all the Star Wars books, comics, uh, reference guides, all of that stuff. Um, so you can find us on Twitter, the normal places. Just look for Star Wars Bookworms. You'll find us. Uh, and then I also do Star Scavengers, which is a podcast that was mainly focused on the Freemaker Adventures. That series has now come to an end. Um, but we are still doing episodes here and there. Um, about just Lego sets and just Star Wars in general. So um, if anybody's interested in a more Lego-focused podcast, check out Star Scavengers. And it's good. It's good. <laughs> and then um, I also do a Doctor Who podcast, which we're kind of on a hiatus because Doctor Who's on a hiatus. But uh, when the new episodes start with the new Doctor, um, which is, should be really exciting because it sounds like they're making tons of changes to everything, um, we'll be back on the air with that. So that's called Bad Wolf Radio. Um and yeah, that's pretty my much favorite it. Doctor Who podcast. Yeah, so definitely check that. And out. I'm on Twitter at AV Goins. Well, Bruce, um, man, it's always good to have you here in the 602 Club. Uh, where can everybody find you, man? Well, when I'm not in Orlando with Aaron doing Star Wars Secrets of the Empire. The, like the you guys thing. are there all the time. <laughs> like I'm so jealous. I hate you both. No, I don't. I we love we you hate both. you I'm too. I mean, we love you too. Yeah, I know. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex, and you can find me talking Star Wars on the Star Wars Report podcast. And you can find me here on the Trek FM network with Dan Gunther doing Literary Treks, your official Star Trek books and comics podcast of Trek FM. And I'm always in the Babel Conference. Well, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. I'm on Instagram under the same name. Uh, you can find me here on the network also doing uh, The Orp with Chris Jones with uh, just talking all about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We really do hope to be back to that soon as we've kind of been on hiatus a little bit as well. Uh, you can also find me over on the Nerd Party Network uh, doing Owl Posts with Drea Kaufman all about Harry Potter. One chapter at a time we're walking through that series. So make sure you check that out. It's a lot of fun. We are in... Uh, just the beginning of the Goblet of Fire. So it's, it's a great time to join us. If you've read the series a million times or if you've never read it, it's a fun podcast. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, you also find me uh, doing aggressive negotiations with John Mills talking all about Star Wars. Um, we actually have a massive uh, Star Wars Rebels episode that is dropping next week as we're recording this. Um, and we have a very, very, very special guest. So I hope you'll check that out as well as the show. If you love Star Wars, um, it's definitely a podcast for you. Uh, it is the podcast you were looking for. And then, of course, you can find me on uh, Cinema Stories with Courtney as we talk all about films, the ones of faith. 
But thank you so much for joining us, and may the Force be with you. Thank you.